All right, hello and welcome back to another episode of Just a Girl from Cleveland. This is episode 126. Uh, Don't mind my voice today. It's a little bit um, deeper than usual. Got a little bit of a a stuffy nose, um, so gonna try to not sneeze at all during this episode, but it's just that time of year, you know, a little colds pop up, but we, uh, we power through no matter what. And I'm still feeling good because it was a great weekend of football um, between the Buckeyes and the Browns. Very, very excited about what I got to watch. So going to get into both of those games. I also want to talk about Harbaugh and everything going on with that team up north right now. The saga continues. um, So we're going to get into all of that today. Very exciting. And then I feel like we're uh, this football season has gone so quickly um, we are like decently through the season at this point in time. Uh, the Browns, uh, are, are six and three. So that is nine games in. So we are, we're powering through here and we're starting to look at the playoff picture. Um, what, you know, teams are in right now, what teams are in the hunt right now, what that's going to look like. Um, so we're going to discuss some of that at the end of the episode as well, which is pretty exciting. Um, it's exciting when you're the Browns right now at six and three. I'm sure it's not exciting for everyone, but it's exciting in in our position at the moment. Okay, so let's start off with um, everything going on with Harbaugh and that team up north. So um, this past week, it was, you know, the I believe it was the day before the, um, you know, college football Saturday when that team of north was going to be playing. Uh, they announced a three-game suspension from the Big Ten for Jim Harbaugh, um, based on everything that's been going on with the allegations against um, Connor Stallions and their sign stealing and and everything involved in that, um, it was look the initial thought I think for most people when that happened was like why are you giving a punishment w- without the full investigation? Which I actually can can get behind that argument. Like I do think that there it's a weird precedent to set on, you know, giving some form of punishment before completing the investigation. Uh, and I understand that, but at the same time, they have like already found evidence that there was wrongdoing. So I think they're in a bit of a weird place on like, we know he did something wrong. So do we just let him go and let the team keep going and potentially, you know, win it all this year in the situation that they're in? Like that would be pretty awkward, I think. Um, so I think they're in a bit of a weird position, but I understand the criticism on like, why are you, uh, enacting this suspension already? And I think most people felt that way. And then everyone pretty much turned on Michigan. The moment that the coach who stepped in for Jim Harbaugh during the game was crying like a baby on the sidelines, acting like Jim Harbaugh died and he was never going to be able to see him again. Uh, when Jim Harbaugh literally is allowed to be with the team throughout the week, just cannot coach on Saturdays. Like, it's not that big of a deal um, when you actually think about it. This coach and these players are acting like Jim Harbaugh died. It was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. I've, I've never seen it a team like turn themselves into victims in this way for something that they did that was like actually wrong. Like there's been stupid things that especially in college football over the years that teams have gotten in trouble for, i.e. tattoo gate, um, where I understand like people feeling like it's the whole world against us. This was something that Michigan brought on themselves with what they were doing internally as a team in terms of like hurting the integrity of the game. And I think that's where it really 
uh, differentiates from things like Tattoo Gate and other things that have happened in college football over the years with players making money in ways that they weren't supposed to be making money, where that didn't affect them on the field. That was them being like, I'm, you know, super famous and I should have some money because of this and doing things that they technically weren't allowed to do. But that didn't change who was, you know, getting the X's and O's on on Saturdays. What Michigan was doing was legitimately affecting the results of games. And I think it's a little bit ridiculous of them to play this victim role as if the whole world is conspiring against them and they didn't do anything wrong. Oh, poor me. It is so bizarre to watch. And the way that coach was crying, I was honestly laughing because it was so ridiculous to see the way they had spun this entire story and the full narrative to be poor Michigan. It's ridiculous. Now they have all these, um, like Michigan against the world t-shirts and that kind of stuff, which is hilarious because it really doesn't flow very well since everyone usually says Ohio against the world. But you know, you know, maybe that's just me as an Ohio girl feeling that way, but I just feel like that's a more common phrase. I've never heard anyone say Michigan against the world, Michigan versus the world, anything like that. That's just, it doesn't, it doesn't flow off the tongue as well. Um, but it, um, kind of continued this week with some, today some more allegations potentially about gambling violations so it's really just piling on for them which gambling another one that is you know with the entire integrity of the game factor um is so very very strange there as well i'm not sure there's not been a lot of information about that specific piece yet it just came out today um but it just keeps uh piling on for them and it feels like beyond whatever this you know three game suspension for harbaugh is there's going to be more consequences for not just jim harbaugh but the entire you know team and university moving forward um and that's just kind of how it goes I think what's frustrating me is the the way people are speaking about this, where they're like, no, this is so unfair for this to fall on like all of the Michigan players and all of the other coaches who didn't do anything wrong. Where was that energy for literally every other team that has gotten in trouble for something and has had bull wins stripped, just wins in general stripped, um, scholarships, like eligibility for bowl games. Like there's, there are so many teams over the years who did not get that same energy from everyone saying, well, that's not fair to everyone else. Yeah, it, it wasn't fair then. So I don't understand why uh, Michigan feels so entitled. It's entitled. That's the word. They feel entitled to something that I have not seen ever before in college football with universities and programs getting in trouble for something. They feel so entitled in a way that I just, uh, it it really checks out for everything I know about um, them as a a program. So we will, um, (coughs) sorry, we will keep uh, watching as it, as it moves forward. Um, But it was a, it was kind of a funny weekend, honestly, of of watching it all go down. I, I found it to be very entertaining. Uh, what was also entertaining, though, was Ohio State versus Michigan State, another um, team in that that state of North. But uh, it was a 38-3 win, so pretty much domination. Uh, Michigan State, I feel like, has not been as good of a program in recent years. They had some really, really strong years um, back when I was in college uh, between you know 2014 and 2018. And I think one year... 
going to the college football playoff. I know they beat Ohio State one year, at least one year, maybe if not more. Um, But they just don't seem to be the same program in in recent years, which is a little bit disappointing because I felt like that was always a really fun game to watch uh, was that matchup. It was uh, up there with like Penn State really in terms of intensity uh, a lot of times. Uh, But overall in the game, um, I felt like it was promising to see the offense be able to execute in a way that they haven't from start to finish. It felt like it was more of a complete game and it wasn't this slow start in the first half where struggling to get even a touchdown. It it was a a lot better in terms of consistency. Two touchdowns for Marvin Harrison Jr. That man is so special. He has to be just in the Heisman conversation for everyone at this point, and if he isn't, it's kind of ridiculous. I was looking at the odds earlier, and I have them pulled up here, and he is currently fourth on FanDuel. So Bo Nix is first in the odds at um, minus 110. Michael Penix Jr., plus 370. Jaden Daniels, plus 370. And then Marvin Harrison Jr. at plus 600. So... Still distant from, you know, some of those top, top guys. But in general, I feel like, you know, every week he proves more and more why he is the one of the most valuable players in college football and just what he can do and what he brings to the table. Whoever has him on their NFL team is the luckiest team alive. Um, so I'm hoping that that, you know, continues to change for him in those rankings or the guys above him start choking at some point so that he can he can rise up. I'd at least like to see him there on that stage, you know. I think it would be cool for him to get the invitation in general. Even if he doesn't win, I, I just hope that for him because he's a really, really special player. It's so funny you look back to in um, previous years you had um, – you know, just so many talented receivers and all of them kind of christening the next group of receivers as like, no, they're even better than us. Like we had Olave and Garrett Wilson talking about JSN saying, oh yeah, he's the best of all of us. And I feel like after that, all of a sudden we had the bowl game where Marvin Harrison Jr. had to step in uh, and was just showing how incredible he really is. And it was like, oh, so it just keeps going. It just keeps getting better and better. And I mean, he's got to be the best of all of them, in my opinion, at this point in terms of um, the talent that he has shown in in his time at Ohio State and uh, just really excited for him. Okay, sorry, I have to keep stopping to drink my tea so that it, um, you know, keeps my throat <laughs> okay with this little, little cold I have. Um, okay, so we're going to get into Browns Ravens now. The, the, part you've all been waiting for the most important part of this episode Browns beat the Ravens 33 to 31 I've said this I think three times this season now I'll say it was the Colts game it was the 49ers game and it's now the Ravens game where I have finished that game saying the Browns never win games like this I finished all three of those games feeling that way about how the game went, how the result came to be, and the things that transpired during the game that just usually don't go the way of the Browns. Um, And this game had so many examples of that. Um, One being that the Browns did not lead the entire game until the very, very end when they kicked to take the lead. Um, Specifically because Deshaun Watson threw that interception about 30 seconds into the game. Um, and you know, they scored right away. 
uh, very reminiscent of the Pittsburgh game. I actually, <laughs> I found this really interesting. Um, so in his his post game, um, not post game. I think it was um, a couple days later when he was talking about. It might have been post game or a couple days later. I can't remember. But when he was talking about um, what was going through his mind in that, I felt like hit that was the most vulnerable I've seen him just as a football player and as a quarterback, not trying to like defend himself or, um, I don't know, just have to like make excuses for his play. He was just kind of like, wow, I can't, like, I can't believe that happened again. You know, like after the Pittsburgh game, knowing that that was a brutal play that kind of ruined the game. And then seeing him do that again against Baltimore, it was actually nice to see him show that level of vulnerability and not try to be like, you know, excuses or, you know, come up with a reason for it It was just kind of like, yeah, that sucked. And I was, I was really mad at myself for that. And it was a bummer. Like, and I know it's easier. I think it's a lot easier for quarterbacks to do that after you win a game. It's way harder to be vulnerable in that way after you lose a game. But I just thought it was nice to see in general that, um, he was able to just be honest about how he was feeling and not, um, just try to come up with some type of excuse in that moment was just like, yeah, no, I was really, I was mad. (laughs) Uh, and that's normal because it was awful. Like that was watching him throw that interception. I was like, I was ready to turn off the TV. I didn't even want to watch the game at that point because it was just unreal that 30 seconds into a game again, that he threw an interception like that. Very frustrating. The first half in general, I would say was pretty frustrating and it just felt like, um, the, the narrative that I was, I was feeling about the team in that moment was that the team could not hang, uh, with a talented top of the division team like the Ravens and that they just weren't going to be able to hang with them. Um, Deshaun was six for 20 in the first half for 79 yards. I believe he was like one for nine at the very start, really bad start. And then obviously the one interception um, coming at the beginning of the game. And then he tweaked his ankle at the end of the first half and went into the locker room while they had PJ Walker throw a Hail Mary um, instead of having Dustin Hopkins kick a 60-yarder, which, look, I'm not mad at them for not having Dustin Hopkins kick that. That is a very far kick, and I'm not going to you know, hinge my feelings on the game about that. But um, watching PJ just come in and throw that, I was like, oh, this game is not going in the direction that we needed to be going in order to win. Um So after the first half, I don't think anyone was feeling pretty good about what we saw. But um, Deshaun Watson really did a full 180 for the second half of the game where he was 14 of 14, no incompletions in the second half. And it just felt like it was a completely different offense. He was comfortable and he wasn't making these like crazy throws. They, it was, it was a simplified offense, I would say in a lot of ways, but he was using his feet in a way that we haven't seen him feel that comfortable doing it, especially knowing that he tweaked his ankle in the first half. I think it was good to see that he was still like, I'm going to power through this because I don't know if we felt like he could do that, especially with, you know, the the shoulder and the issues that he has had with that earlier this year. I just don't know if we've seen him, you know, be able to power through little things like that as a Cleveland Brown. So it was really good to see him be able to bounce back in that way and just power through throughout the second half uh, and still make those plays, you know, stretch to go get that first down when we needed it. Um, and so I, I would say as a, as a Cleveland Brown, that had to be one of his best performances that in the Titans game probably are, are up there as top two right now. Um, well, I guess Cardinals as well. I forgot about that one. That was a good one too. Um, but 
Cardinals was against a bad team. It was good to see him do this against a good team and be able to turn it on like that in the second half. And I think this is like uh, my thoughts for the entire team, including Deshaun Watson, is that they did not give up. When they were down, they did not fold and say, it's the Ravens. We're not going to be able to do this. We're down by multiple scores. Like, let's just let's call it a day and we'll just go, you know, into Pittsburgh and have to take care of things. Then they didn't do that. They kept fighting no matter what. And that's something that is promising for the fan base to see that the team does feel like they have a real shot at being something this year Um, because teams that don't believe that don't usually fight through in this way. So I think it's promising to know that what we see on paper and what we've seen in these games as fans, the team also feels that way and feels like this is the real deal. Uh, They have a real shot at at being something great and being, you know, a team that can push far into the playoffs with, with what we saw this weekend. And I think that's explained well um, in the one play that everyone's been talking about. I don't know what we're going to call it. Um, it was like some version of the tush push that the the Eagles do. But it was everyone get behind Jerome Ford, the entire offensive line, and not just the offensive line. You had Elijah Moore pumping his legs. He was like uh, almost like a cartoon character when their legs move really quickly. That's what Elijah Moore looked like in that moment, trying to push the pile along. It was all hands on deck. Everyone was getting in there. Uh, trying to make sure that they were able to get the first down. And they didn't just get the first down. They gained 12 yards by pushing in that moment. And it was like, wow, this team wants it more than the Ravens. I think that was my takeaway after that play, was this Cleveland Browns team wants to win this game more than the Baltimore Ravens do. And moments like that uh, made me feel that way. Um, On the topic of Jerome Ford, he had one of his best games this season, 17 carries for 107 yards, probably our best rushing game as a whole since Nick Chubb went down. Uh, So I think that was a big deal in this game as well, that they were able to find success in that way against a a good Ravens defense. Um, Some other stars on offense, David Njoku. uh, There was an incredible play for him as well that was one of those extra effort ones that I, I would put into the category of those the the tush push and running for those first first downs like this was David Njoku's version of I want to win this game I'm going to get these extra yards and he had so many people try to tackle him and I think he had he gained a total of 23 yards on it and was just mauling people over he is a big dude and when you see him running it's um it's a scary thing so it was a uh, it was really impressive to see that and it just felt like everyone was doing their part at some point uh, to get things done. And we had Dustin Hopkins, who, you know, after the the Browns, it was 31-30, and the Browns had to kick their extra point after they scored that touchdown, and he missed that extra point. I think everyone in Cleveland's heart sank. It was like, oh, this is the moment that we've been waiting for on how we're going to blow this game, how this is going to end poorly. Um, and, of course, it was unfortunate that he missed, but the Browns were able to, you know, get the ball back and then find a way to get in field goal, field goal position again and take the win. Which, um, you know, was a good redemption story for Dustin Hopkins. He talked about it after the game and compared himself to an arsonist who, you know, set something on fire and then put it out and everyone patted him on the back, which I thought was the best analogy I've ever heard. Uh, very accurate, but um, nice to see some humility there. I appreciate Appreciate the comedy in that moment as well. 
Uh, but I, I mean, just cool to see him bounce back too. He obviously did a lot throughout the game in general. So, and has done a lot for this team throughout the season. So I don't think anyone was doubting him because he has been so consistent for this team. It was good to see him be able to pull through at the end. Okay. Then on defense, we had Miles Garrett. Um, he had one and a half sacks, which isn't, you know, the most crazy stat line we've ever seen from him, but they came at such an important moment on a drive where he just took over. And I think it was important to see it happen like that rather than in these random moments throughout the game, because um, I think it, it really highlights why he is a defensive player of the year. It's because he can adjust himself to the moment and know when he's needed to make a play like that. And I feel like he could feel the energy in that moment and knew what he needed to do and was able to get it done. And that's what makes Miles Garrett so great is his awareness of the game and his awareness of what his job is and what he needs to do. Um, and I think he slowly is really running away with that award. I, I'm i going to be shocked unless something happens injury-wise if by the end of the season, Miles Garrett does not win this award with the way he has been playing all season. Um, other guys stepping up, Jordan Elliott had a blocked field goal, which was great. I think we only got a, a field goal back on that drive because Anthony Walker recovered it, ran a little bit, um, and then we weren't able to get a touchdown. But still, just good to have those momentum shifts like that and show that the team is competing. Uh, Okoronkwo batted the ball in the air. Newsom had his first interception of his career, which was very exciting. Ran it back for a touchdown. Um, that's what helped close the, you know, Browns deficit 31-30 with, uh, I think, eight and a half minutes left in the game. Um, but it was it was good to see Newsom be able to have his moment um, in that game, and especially in such a clutch moment where it was like, hey, if the Browns are going to be able to do this, like, they need to do it right now. Something needs to happen. Uh, and someone stepped up and got it done. And the defense still had their bad moments, like especially in the first half, there was that Keaton Mitchell touchdown run that I felt like nobody was putting an effort to even try to touch him. Um, so that was tough to see. But every defense has moments like that, even the best defenses in the world. I think what it impressed me was their resilience to keep fighting back even after they had those bad moments. They just never, never gave up. Especially too, you had guys like um, Juan Thornhill, Denzel Ward go down. And then you had to have guys like Mike Ford, Rodney McLeod step up and play. Mike Ford had an interception. Like everyone was was coming to play, even if you weren't a starter. There was the same issue on the offensive line, missing both offensive tackles. Um, and Jerron Christian, I don't know if I said his name correctly, and then James Hudson had to step in at tackle and held it down. Like Christian was pretty good the whole game because you never heard his name called, which is a good sign for someone when you don't hear their name called as an offensive lineman. James Hudson had a couple of moments where he had some calls go against him, but look, the flags were flying against the Browns during this game. Um, so it was still good to see him play um, decently, I thought. <coughs> Sorry. Um, okay, so yeah, overall, like the defense still is the defense we've known them to be, but they... Um, you know, they're going to have their ups and downs, but I think it's actually important that they have those ups and downs because they need to be tested. It's not going to be easy as the season goes on and you get maybe more injuries, more banged up. Um, and then hopefully in the playoffs, like it's not, you're not going to be playing cookie cutter offenses. It's going to be hard. Um, so I think it's important that they're not just playing the Arizona Cardinals, that they're playing the Baltimore Ravens and, and doing well in that. I think it shows, you know, how talented they really are. Okay, so 
We're going to talk playoffs now. So if the Browns beat the Steelers this coming week, I really think they have a real shot of winning the AFC North. The Ravens and Bengals also play this coming week. So it's going to be a big week for the division on, you know, different things starting to go in different directions. Like if the Ravens beat the Bengals, the Bengals are starting to kind of pull away down below everyone else and the Ravens above everyone. Um, And, you know, the Browns and Steelers have the same record right now. So it's going to mean a lot to see what happens in both of these games. Um, In all of the playoff simulators, you know, New York Times, ESPN, like everyone has different simulations. So the percentages aren't all the same, but I've seen the Browns really anywhere from 78 to 83 right now in terms of the, the percentage chance they have of making the playoffs after this win, which is pretty exciting to see. I um I feel like um looking at the schedule they have for the rest of the season we have Steelers, Broncos, Rams, Jags, Bears, Texans, Jets, Bengals. Every one of those games is winnable. There is not a single game that I just read there that is not a winnable football game. So this team has a real opportunity to start running away with things based on the strength of their remaining schedule, but it's not going to be easy because even as I say that like the Texans are you know, randomly a good team this year because CJ Stroud has been incredible and they found a real light in him as a quarterback for this team. So that game could end up being a lot tougher than it originally was thought to be when looking at the schedule before the season. The Jags are up and down, you know, sometimes they have a good week, sometimes they have a bad week. It's going to be a battle no matter what game and no matter what the opponent. So I think you have to take every game seriously and not assume any game is going to be a win for sure. And then we have the AFC playoff picture. (coughs) Sorry. So we've got Chiefs, Ravens, Jags, Dolphins, Steelers, Browns, Texans. Obviously, you don't know if that's the remaining teams that you end up with once the season closes. On the cusp right now, you have Bengals, Colts, Bills, and Raiders, which the Raiders being there is silly. Uh, But Bengals, Colts, Bills, like any of those teams could, could be in it. Honestly, the Colts being there is a little silly too, but... Um, it's going to be competitive to the end because all of those in the hunt teams are five and four, five and five. So they're right there as well. Um, and anything can really happen. So you just got to keep stacking those wins, but it's all promising. Uh, so that's all I have for you guys today. Sorry for my, my coughs, um, and pauses to drink tea throughout. I, I appreciate your patience getting through it. Um, but thank you guys so much for listening. I appreciate you all. Uh, please leave a review rating, comment on YouTube, all of that good stuff. Um, and hopefully we'll get a win this coming week as well. Thank you for listening and go Browns.